Okay, so I want to go over the notes that I took while listening to Ryan Smith. He's the founder of Qualtrics, and his company was actually just purchased, and he sold the company for $8 billion. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, so he's he's uh, asked the question. He says, last year, Qualtrics was worth $2.5 billion. A year later, it was sold for $8 billion. And he responded. He's like, that's what happens in SaaS. The whole world is waiting for you to fall. If you can just hit that next checkpoint without crashing, it will compound. SaaS, software as a service, is like compounding interest. Uh, he continues. He says, switching the name of the company from Survey Pros to Qualtrics was the best thing we ever did. Everything we wanted to do, other than surveys, we could do under the Qualtrics umbrella. However, when they switched the company name, he said, people would criticize the name Qualtrics. They say they would say it's not descriptive. They'd say they didn't know what it is. The reality is people don't know what anything that anyone is creating is. Um, and then after the sale um, to a company named, uh, call, uh, company called SAP, uh, the first call after that sale, um, basically uh, the, the first question was uh, SAP was crit criticized for spending $8 billion on a company that no one had ever heard of. And so Ryan commented, he said, there were 300 articles about our IPO. They were about to IPO before SAP bought them. And no one had heard about us. This may be helpful for founders. There's this whole rationale around doing fundraising and marketing so people know who you are. They won't know who you are. So just go out there and build a good business. He talks about the reason that they were, uh, they bootstrapped for so long. They put off raising any kind of money for as long as they possibly could. And they said, uh, he said, we were bootstrapped because we didn't want outside bosses. Every year that we wanted, waited to raise increased our valuation by $100 million. The longer you can wait, the more money you end up with. And then he's just giving uh, general advice to people that do uh, raise for their company. He says, your cap table is your number one asset as a founder and as a company. If my kid was joining a company, the number one thing I would say is what does the cap table look like? And the reason he says this is because I've watched really smart founders get lapped by us because they had a bad cap table. And what he means there is they, they, had a, um, they basically had an abundance of capital. They were not operating from uh, from like a scare, scar, scarce mentality. And he says, uh, and so he gives an example of like what they learned um, by not having access to, to excessive capital. He says, sometimes an influx of capital can make you take the shortcuts. If we would have had capital, we would have never gone after the academic market. So he kind of made a lateral move into the corporate market by first starting in a smaller uh, market, especially with less competition. He said, we had to find an efficient way that worked at scale before going into the corporate market. And then once he, was, uh, once he made the switch, he said, the percent of revenues from the academic market went from 100% of our revenues to down, down to 10%. And then he talked about how he thinks about going into different markets or how they thought about going into different markets. It was him and I think four co-founders. I think it's all of his family too. I know he mentioned his brother and his dad. I don't know who the other person was, but he said, we always had the goal of being number one in whatever market we went into, even if that means you had to start with a small market. We wouldn't go into the market if we didn't think we could be number one. Then he just makes some commentary about the, the larger um, like the larger business environment at this, at this time. He says, there are two things that are happening in tech that scares me. Founders are not, number one, founders are not thinking long-term enough. It is going to take longer than they think. Nothing we have ever done has been shorter than we thought. And number two, when you get over a billion dollars or $2 billion in value, there are not that many companies that can acquire you and they don't buy all the time. 
So his advice is if you're going down this route, you should build your business with the goal to go public. Build your company to be able to do that. Act like there is no other option. If you're not building a company that can stand up and go public, no potential acquirer will want it anyways. There is always an outlier or two, but the fact that we were about to go public made SAP want us more. And he talks about after the sale, he said, one of the things I'm really proud of is only $30 million of the $8 billion went to people who weren't in the building. We created more millionaires than any other company I know about. And uh, in, in a larger discussion about, you know, markets and how to uh, like what what uh, market to go after and how to market your, co your company products. He says, listen, the most important lesson is you have to have a good product. You have to have good products that people actually want to use. And then everything else you can build on top of that. And uh, I'll close here and I I'll leave a link to this case study that that he references. But I think uh, this is really important information for all of us. He says, we teach a case study at Stanford about why we turned down a $500 million acquisition. That was, uh, I think, six years ago. The decision was easy. I talked to my wife. She said, Ryan, you don't need a bunch of money, and I don't want you home more. Just go for it. Everyone thinks it's a math equation. After we got the money from this sale, there was no emotional reaction. If you think if you think you are going to sell and then think you have arrived, you will be seriously let down. It is about building. It is about the journey.